second. All right, so welcome to the Meaningful Jobs podcast season two. I'm your host, Adrian. And today um, we are really grateful to welcome Paul, um, who has a media um, and marketing background to come onto our show and talk about his passion in his work and how he found meaning in his work. So welcome, Paul. Hope you're well. Yeah, thank you, Adrian. I appreciate it. So, um, well, I think um, the reason why I reached out to you is because um, I saw your impressive work in terms of how you set up your own company um, and, you know, execute it on a lot of, you know, uh, inspi- a lot of inspiring projects in the marketing um, and in your media industries. So could you maybe talk us through how you got started in this industry? Yeah. So, um, so first off, I live in Texas. Mm-hmm. And I uh, grew up here my whole life. And uh, when I was about 20 years old, I got mm-hmm. a job working for a public policy organization. Right. And I was still in college at the time. And uh, I was helping them do legislative work at in Texas. Mm-hmm. And for the next, uh, I guess, next eight years, mm-hmm. I did some type of legislative consulting or political yeah. consulting for about eight years. Yeah. Um, and through that, um, I think I just realized I had a natural knack for marketing mm-hmm. and it must have, I guess it just came to me intuitively. Um, yeah. and it wasn't like, oh, I was so great at like, you know, um, coming up with these long scale marketing plans. And, but I think I was really good at just coming up with creative ideas and just trying mm-hmm. to think like, how does a consumer think about things? Yeah. Um, and so we've got to launch a lot of videos and viral videos and campaigns and things like that. And really kind of bootstrapped scrappy type things. Right, um, li- right, limited budget, uh, but big impact type stuff. Sorry, was it like a was it like a startup? Yeah, it it was like a startup basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. all all these uh things were like, and so I was I think I I specialized in almost this idea of like sometimes I'd be plugged in with another organization, mm. um, but then I would be in charge of like coming up with brand new ideas and just kind of like self managing an entire project from beginning to end. Right, and I might incorporate other people. So like I was working with a handful of companies. Yeah. Um, I was doing political consulting, then it was marketing consulting. Yeah. But of course, I was basically a one-man shop and I would bring in contractors wow. for different projects that were going on. Well, um, so it's basically you're like you're like an entrepreneur. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, like a, maybe. <laughs> a paid entrepreneur. And so it's almost yeah. like they would bring me in as like a business consultant just to execute particular projects. Well, one example is yeah. um, we had this one client in uh, Austin, Texas, and they had like they were like the largest privately owned janitorial company in Texas. So they had like maybe 3,000 employees, 2,000, something like that. And um, they did commercial um, commercial cleaning. So like all the mm-hmm. high rises in Austin, they did like mm-hmm. 80% of the Austin market, 50% of the Houston right. market, stuff like that. Right. Anyways, COVID happened. And suddenly, um, you know, like they realized that there was a unique opportunity where there were all these mm-hmm. college kids that were at the top of their classes, but they right. were in certain fields that we're no longer hiring. So that might be petroleum engineering, because uh, right, people stopped driving their cars for like yeah. a year. Yeah. Uh, so petroleum engineering, hospitality. Mm-hmm. So like maybe there was this kid that was like in the 99th percentile of his hospitality, you know, yeah. MBA or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and now these kids didn't have jobs. Mm-hmm. And so they came to me, one of these clients came to me and said, hey, Paul, how, how do we go about and finding all these kids who are obviously very sharp, very dedicated, yeah. competitive, and they would be great hires in their industry but their mm-hmm. industry is no longer hiring. How do we find mm-hmm. those kids and mm-hmm. bring them into our set of companies? Because right. even though our companies have nothing to do with petroleum engineering, we're you know we're a commercial you know uh, 
res a commercial cleaning company, yeah. but we're looking for leadership talent. How do we get those kids? And so my job was to come up and figure out a marketing plan. How would we attract those kids? And so we spun right. out this creative idea, like, hey, we'll set up this thing. We'll call it Leadership Academy. And right. we began, we launched this program uh, to what, identify these your, kids. Was this your entire, was this entirely your own idea? Uh, yeah, it's pretty much my idea. Yeah. Oh, wow. uh, well, okay. I mean, it, it was a collaborative idea. Right. Like we, we talked through iterations. And so I was in charge of like launching the marketing campaign, coming up with the name of the thing, figuring right. out the curriculum. And I worked with other people too. I shouldn't take all the yeah. credit for it. <laughs> um, but I was in charge of kind of like launching this thing from an idea, uh, out into the market within like two months. Yeah. And so within two months, we launched this thing. I think we had yeah. like 3000 applicants. Wow. Um, and we had, I mean, we had a kid and we, we chose the top five. And we had, you know, we had the pick of the crop. And so like we had this one kid, like he had just missed the U.S. Olympic team because yeah. uh, like, he was like seed number four and they took the top three in decathlon. So he missed the Olympic yeah. team, but highly competitive, <laughs> very sharp guy, got his MBA in business. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was just a really, really sharp dude. And so we brought him into the program, we had this other guy um, and he was like a sharp dude too. He had like, you know, he'd gotten his master's in law and he had right. a, a double majored in chemistry and this stuff and all this stuff really sharp kid but he just didn't have job prospects and so we got all these sharp kids brought them in we did a one-year class with them and yeah. we showed them our series of companies that we were working with um mm -hmm. because it was not only the janitorial company there was also a landscaping company that was all yeah. owned by the same set of partners and so i was working for all of them right um, and right. in the end uh, we're now in our third year about to launch our fourth year of existence and like of the oh. 15 kids that have gone through our program i think 14 of them have stayed mm -hmm. around to mm -hmm. actually stand our series of companies. And so it's been wildly right. successful. So those are the types wow. of things that I was tasked with doing. And I know it took a long time to tell that story. Oh, it's, it's completely fine. I was fascinated by it and more fascinated by, you know, the success rate of only five out of 3000, basically. Yeah, yeah. So that's even yeah. harder to get into than an Ivy League school, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's it's really true. And we had kids from Ivy League uh, applying to our, our program, actually. Yeah, so wow. uh, we had the captain of the Notre Dame football team join our program. I mean, really sharp yeah. guys. Yeah. So um, how did you actually find this, um, you know, passion of yours um, in marketing? Yeah, great question. You know, that is a great question. I think I sort of stumbled into it because um, right. I think marketing was just a natural fit for me. And I didn't I couldn't even really encapsulate why I felt passionately about different things. Yeah. But sometimes I could look at someone's marketing and just be or like, like, you know, I wouldn't even call it marketing. I would just look at what they were doing and what they were saying publicly to the audience. Yeah. And how they were trying to get customers, and I would just be like, "Well, that's not com that's not compelling. There's no reason. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't choose your product. Yeah. Um, but here's yeah. the things that would. Mm. Um. And so just some things came naturally. Again, I'm not like a genius marketer, but mm. there's just some things came real naturally. Mm. Um. And then I think I, I always live, love reading marketing books. And I don't know if you can see the books behind me. Like so. Like, oh, are, are they all marketing books? A, a lot of them are. Yeah. Yeah. All of these are marketing wow. books or wow. business books, except leadership books. Uh, and I love to read these things just for fun. Yeah. In fact, actually, um, it goes like, I don't know if you can see my camera. They're actually three, the books go like three levels deep, actually. Back oh, in wow. Here. Um, I, I just saw so, one level until you, you showed me the three level. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, yeah I, I love impressive. reading. And it's like, uh, yeah, I love just like reading these books so I could just kind of get a couple ideas from each person. That's why, you know, it's probably great for people to listen to your podcast, actually, mm -hmm. because just listening to people like not yeah. everyone's a genius. But there mm. might be a couple smart ideas from each guest or each book that you read. Yeah. And as long as, as you're kind of like inundating yourself in that culture mm. and that um, some things will eventually stick and that becomes part of your uh, your memorandum of operation, your your MO. Because I always think that it's important um, to find your passion early in your career so that yeah. you don't so-called waste time, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Not a lot of people 
can do this and you said you you somehow just stumbled into this so would you say it's more luck or would you or you know if you think about it any you know uh yeah i don't know if it's luck. i actually think like god also really helped guide me through this process too even though like in retrospect i can tell god was the one guiding me but i don't think i really understood at the time it's an interesting thing so i i stayed in the political arena for about eight years oh um, and i was doing marketing type stuff for different political candidates yeah. But then uh, back in 2018, I got really tired with Texas politics, really burned out. The political right. arena was no longer healthy for me. Right. Um, I think I was taking it too personally. And so I shifted over entirely into business marketing at that point. Right. Right. Um, and around the same time, started my own podcast. Mm. Um, and I think for me, I think it was a better fit because now I was actually finding better fit just for my own self, I think, mm-hmm. of where my skill sets really mm-hmm. align clearly. Mm-hmm. And instead of thinking about candidates, I was thinking about companies and right. um, it was it was really healthy for me at that point, I think. So you mentioned, you know, quite a lot of swi- big switches, you know, within, you know, the marketing and media industry. So whenever you make a bit big switch, do you go through like a decision making process? Like how do you determine? Yeah, the I, I do actually. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you asked that. So when I was uh, in 2018, Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things was like, I was, I was just sick and tired of political consulting. Yeah. Um, and I knew I had a penchant for doing business consulting, but mm-hmm. there was this, also this thing where I still wanted to be creative and think of my own things. And I've been creating yeah. stuff for other clients for years, yeah. but now I wanted to create something of my own that mm-hmm. I would control the destiny of, right. uh, and also create something that was long-term. And so that's why we kind of thought of the podcast, but the way we came about that process, cause I knew I wanted to create something of my own, yeah. but I wasn't sure what was it? Was it a product? Was it a course? Was it a, a, a community? Was it a pot? You know, I, I don't know. And mm. so there was a book that I read around that time, uh, which is where oh, you have it here. Yeah, I have it right here. Actually, it was called yeah. um, Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain. Right. And uh, it's actually it's a, a story about a gangster act, a true life story about a gangster yeah. and how he became a business guy and left the gang, gang world and everything. Mm. Um, but he had an interesting premise in there, an interesting exercise, which we did, which he said, when you're ever trying to make a major life decision, maybe mm. for business, like I'm going to switch my career path or maybe I'm going to yeah. start a business. So one of the best things you can do is sit down with a piece of paper mm. and this is tedious. It's going to take a time, but do this. Yeah. Right. Make a huge list and write mm. down three categories, write down uh, a list of your assets. Right. So it's basically right. like uh, stuff that you own, your money, your stocks, your bonds, your house, your, your cars, it, yeah. anything they have access to. Maybe you've got a friend and they let you use the, anything. Just make a list of your assets. And then make a list of your life experiences, things that you're good at, your skills. Like, you know, right. I did this, I did this, I did this, I'm good at that. Da, da. Make that whole list right there. Yeah. And then make a list of your relationships because right. relationships are so important. It's so like, I know this person and they do this. Yeah. I know this person. I, go through your LinkedIn, go through your Facebook. That might take you all day long because you've probably got 2,000 Facebook friends, a couple <laughs> thousand LinkedIn friends. Some of them, there's some overlap, but just go through the exercise because you'll remember yeah. stuff like, oh yeah, I've totally forgot about this guy, you know, mm-hmm. but like, I'm good friends with him or I would feel comfortable at least giving him a call and asking him for a favor, right? Yeah. So go through, go through the exercise. It's going to take you all day. Mm-hmm. But then when you're done, then begin looking for kind of broad categories. Like, are there like things that like, okay, these are kind of clusters. Like, hey, it's weird. I happen to know a lot of people in the real estate space, or I know a lot of people in the film industry, or I know a lot of people in the, you know, and, and just kind of think of these broad categories. And then look for what what is your unfair advantage? Right. What is it that like you and your life experiences that God has given you is yeah. going to allow you to have an unfair advantage that most other people wouldn't be able to have. Mm. So you're looking for those categories. So you're taking, it's basically your asset inventory, right? You're, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and like after you do this, 
see what is it that you might be able to do that no one else is going to be able to do the same way with excellence that you can do. Right. Uh, and through that process, that's how we decided to start the podcast that we have now. Wow. Um, I can totally feel your, you know, your passion and excitement when talking about this. And I think I'm, you know, very impressed. Um, you know, your passion, you know, the energy you have. And, you know, I'm I always wonder how people can become so involved in what they do and you know, become really fully immersed in it, aside from obviously the monetary rewards that come with it. So can you maybe talk us through how, you know, you 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 can just immerse yeah. yourself and not yeah, just yeah. maybe the money? Yeah, yeah. So when we first started our podcast, so for some context, my yeah. podcast is called Compel. I yeah. interview people with unique stories how Christ has transformed their life. Right. Uh, and these are always really interesting stories. We had one lady and she came face to face with an assassin who was sent to kill her because she was defending Christians in court. We had another lady uh, and she and her husband were missionaries in the Philippines and they were kidnapped by terrorists and held Mm -hmm. in the the jungles for a year as hostages. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had another guy and he was at 9-11, he was at the Pentagon when Mm -hmm. the 9-11 plane hit the building and he was about a hundred feet away from the plane, covered in flames, burning up and he was going to die. So each of these people have a really unique story of how Christ transformed something in their life or how they saw God at work. Um, And when I say Christ, I mean, Jesus Christ, who I believe is the son of God. And I know that, you know, maybe, maybe not all your listeners believe that, but I believe it. And my listener and my, my, my audience does too. So that was the show that we created. And so that was something I felt really passionate about. So in 2018, I did this activity and I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I want to do something and I'm just going to start out with it. It may not make a lot of money, but it needs to be something that I'm passionate about because my passions are going to what's going to keep me doing it. And hopefully it right. becomes something that I can continue doing long term, even though it may not make make money at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we ended up deciding to start a podcast, because we could be doing that exercise. We realized like we had the right connections in different spaces and we knew the right people that would be great guests. And so we made this podcast and for the next five years, uh, it didn't make money. Uh, what I did, I mean, made a little bit of money, but it wasn't like, you know, paying my, you know, uh, household expenses or anything like that. So instead what was going on is that I would still do business consulting for about nine months out of the year. Right. would save a bunch of money, you know? Yeah. And then for three months out of the year, I would then close my client books and I would just work exclusively on the podcast and just do a big, long sprint on creating these really high quality episodes. And I had a team I worked with, we would subcontract them out. And so we would raise just a little bit of money from our audience and from donors. And with that money, we were able to cover expenses, but then my living expenses were always covered just by my consulting work I did. And so I would do nine months of consulting, Mm -hmm. take three months off, do the podcast, and then do Mm -hmm. nine months of consulting again, take three months off, do the podcast. We did that for five years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And every year that we did that, Every time we came back with another podcast season, the show would grow more and more and more. And right. so finally, six months ago, we finally went, went full time on the podcast. Yeah. And that's what I do full time now. But to answer your question, specifically mm-hmm. the passions, I think it really was the path. I found the right market fit for me, at least, that mm-hmm. my passions allowed me to continue working on the show, even though it wasn't making money. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually now we've got to the point where now it is making money. We're able to work on it full time. Wow. Um, perhaps I should think about this as well. <laughs> Maybe yeah. Yeah. On, you know, my podcast for three months exclusively. Yeah. Um, in terms of, you know, our audience who might be struggling in, in, you know, what they do, perhaps they might earn a lot of money, but they might feel miserable as a lot of people I've encountered do. Um, do you have any advice, you know, for them? 
Yeah. Okay. So back when I was doing political consulting, like I was making a lot of money and I'm like, I say, I was making, I was making a, a very good income, very good income. Right. right. Um, and yet I was at the season of life where I was like, man, I was like so emotionally invested into the outcome of our political clients campaigns mm-hmm. that if like a, a mail piece came out that said lies about my candidate, even though they were lies, I would be emotionally upset or disturbed. Right. And unfortunately, yeah. that would then carry itself over into my home life, right? So like I would come home and I just wouldn't be engaged with my wife because my mind would still be thinking about work. And I would yeah. just, and so it was a really unhealthy, it had become very unhealthy for me. And again, I was making yeah. a lot of money. It was really good, really great income. Right. Um, yeah. And yet it was not worth the toll that was taking on my family. Mm. Um, and so I would just encourage anybody out there like, hey, you know, okay, well, two things. First off, hey, it's not worth losing fa- family time because like who at the end yeah. of their life says like, oh man, you know, you're laying your deathbed. Are you yeah. really going to say like, oh man, I wish I'd spent more time working. Oh man, I wish I'd got like, you know, another three months worth of emails done. Mm-hmm. No, no one's ever going to say, instead they're going to say, oh man, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids when they were growing up. Mm. Oh man, I wish I'd made more memories with, that's what they said at the end of their life, right? right? So like life is way too short to spend working in a cubicle doing something that you hate, right? Mm. So don't forget like, you know, your work does not equal your life. Like work should be a tool to enable what you're trying to do with your, your wife and your kids and stuff like that. Um, mm. So that's one thing I would, I would offer. Second thing I would offer is mm. even if you do have a deadbeat job and you hate your deadbeat job, before you go out and quit the next day, Make mm-hmm. sure you're working on an exit plan, okay? So that's right. what we did with our podcast. Like, even though I wanted to start the podcast, I wanted to quit all the political work, but I knew that if I did that, we could put ourselves in a bad financial bind. So right. instead, I went to all the existing political clients that I had, and mm-hmm. I slowly began to turn down political work. But instead, I knew that a lot of our political clients, they also had business work that needed to get done also. Right. There's a lot of politicians and political folks, you know, that have aspirations they have a business side of things. Like they own a company or something. That's what it's allowed them now to have the financial cushion to run for political office. So I went to all those guys and I, I would start turning down their political work, but then I'd be like, hey, by the way, hey, I saw this XYZ thing with your business. Hey, can I help you out with this XYZ thing? And because yeah. I already had a relationship in the political sphere, they already knew they could trust me. And so they let mm-hmm. me work on business stuff instead. And so I slowly exited the political arena and just right. transferred all my relationships into their businesses instead. Mm-hmm. I was able to use that as my financial cushion then to make the right. podcast happen. Well, I think it's a great point you make because a lot of people or, or a lot of gurus out out um, you know in the world might just tell you to follow your passion, but yeah. don't offer you you know any sort of plan, yeah. right? So yeah. I think I kind of touched on this um, earlier in the podcast, but I did ask like how you sort of formulate a plan to make a change. Yeah. So you know when you try to get off you know politics. Obviously, you were earning a lot of money, but then you had to give up on that. And was there a time where you kind of regretted your decision or kind of questioned it? Uh, you know, actually, there's never been a time like that, actually. I think we've always, I mean, there was a time where I thought like, hey, maybe the podcast isn't going to work. Uh, I, I'm trying to think right now, though. Um, there might have been a time where I was like, man, the podcast growth is a lot slower than I expected. I think that happened right. our very first season. Like, I thought we were going to launch. There'd be this huge audience. No, there wasn't. It was a very small <laughs> audience. Yeah. Um, but I was like, but because I'd chosen something that I was personally passionate about mm-hmm. at the end of that podcast season, we were doing maybe 300 downloads a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still really excited about it. I was like, man, I yeah. love doing this. This is really cool. Totally worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, even if we only let's, let's do it again. And so, you know, so that's why we decided to do a second season. 
Uh, and our second season, we tripled in size. We ended that season doing about a thousand downloads a week. Wow. Uh, and then the third season, we ended, we tripled in size again, did about 3000 downloads a week, you know, mm. uh, and so you, you could do the math on that. We're now on season mm. six now. Um, mm. So, yeah. Well, just a side question for those who maybe want to start their own channel or podcast, how difficult would you say it is? And, you know, any prerequisites maybe? Yeah. Okay. So here's a couple of thoughts. One, yeah. it, it could be really simple. It could be really easy. Right. But it's kind of like this, this principle, like you get what you pay for. Right. Yeah. So like um, if someone wants to start their own podcast, great, good for them. It's really easy to do. But what you got to think about is like, are people going to come and mm. then are they going to return? Just mm. because you convince someone to listen to your podcast one time, right? Mm. You can convince anyone to listen to your podcast one time maybe, but yeah. is it good enough that they'll come back a second time? Mm. Not only that, is it good enough that not only will they come back the second, third, fourth, fifth time, but will they also then tell a friend? And right. so what we did with our show, because there's so many podcasts to choose from. like, And so there's a lot of other Christian podcasts out there that yeah. focus on Christian testimonies too. They share other yeah. people's testimonies. Yeah. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to create something that was good enough that people would come back a second time and mm. so good that they would then tell their friends. So we had to distinguish ourselves from other competitors in the space. Right. Well, what we knew was that a lot of other Christian testimony podcasts, they sat down and got someone's mm. testimony, right? There were mm. plenty of other shows like that, but yeah. very few would sit down and really edit the story. So they would right. so like and really make it into an audio adventure. So what we do with our show is we'll go and record like a two to four hour interview. I will go in person to the guests. So all the guests, even our international guests, they yeah. have to come to me in America or I have to be oh. with them, you know, where, wherever they're at. So it's, there's a yeah. high barrier to entry to be a guest in our show. So right. it's got to be a really good, great story, but we'll yeah. get really great audio. So our yeah. audio quality is better than our competitors. Yeah. And when I say competitors, I shouldn't say like, oh, you know, we're competing against the kingdom of <laughs> heaven. Uh, but it's like, you know, other choices that folks have, right? So we've got yeah. better audio quality. Yeah. Um, and then we we will edit that four-hour interview down into about 45 minutes. So we're taking the very best segments and yeah. putting it into a story. And mm. then we'll add sound effects and music and narration. And at the end of the day, I and my team will spend around maybe 40 to 60 hours creating a single episode. Wow. And so when we release it, it sounds really, really good. And so when someone's making a choice, like, you know, they've got like a whole bunch of testimony podcasts that they could listen to. They're going to sample a whole bunch of different ones. But when they land on our show, they'll be like, oh, wow, I really like that. That was really fun. Right. Yeah. And so the next time they hop on their phone, they want to listen to a testimony podcast. They're going to come to ours first to see if we have something new. And mm -hmm. when they tell their friends about a certain testimony they heard, they're more likely to talk about ours. And I think that's right. why we've had right. really high organic growth as opposed to other podcasts in the same space. Oh. Um, because it, it yes. Yeah. So the answer is, could you start a podcast? Yeah, mm -hmm. you could. It could be really easy. But if you want your show to grow really yeah. well, I think you need to put a lot of time and effort into it. And that's what we've been doing. Well, thanks for sharing these secrets. I might implement some of these. Sure. Um, oh, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but um, well, finally, before we end, um, I like I, I always invite my guests and give them the opportunity to um, talk about if they are you know, hiring um, yeah. internationally, yeah. locally, because most of my client, uh, sorry, most of my audience uh, base are either looking for new work or looking you know to actually move abroad yeah so um yeah could you maybe talk a little bit about you know if you're yeah hiring, yeah yeah i am currently not hiring but some of the clients that i used to work for they're always hiring of course but yeah. the program i would recommend for your folks to look into and i don't know the age of your clients mm. uh, but is leadership academy again it was the right. particular client i mentioned earlier yeah. And so, you know, they're recruiting right now and they're looking for folks that basically have an advanced degree, right? And right. maybe a bachelor's, but if they have a master's would be even better. Folks right. that are really distinguished themselves. And we've got, yeah. we've had 
we've had recruits from internationally also. So not everyone just in right. the United States. Right. Um, so if your folks are interested in that, they could check out the, the website is leadershipacademy.io. Yeah. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll uh, remember to include that in, in the description. Um, just by the way, um, uh, is this open to just to absolutely anybody? in the world it is it is yeah. but it's gonna it's gonna like as you look through the thing i think it's gonna do a really good job of like kind of self-vetting and showing people like hey this is made for me this is not made for me so like leadership right. academy our real focus is on finding folks that are interested in pursuing a career path in the service industry um okay. and that could be you know so that could be commercial window washing commercial cleaning yeah residential services but it's not as like not as like oh i'm gonna be a janitor it's like being <laughs> a, as, as, as an executive team member of one of those types of companies in that space well so that's where we're really who don't in. have um who don't have degrees let's say in the us or the uk what if they like come from i don't know maybe like countries that don't have as... yeah yeah we're, we're, we're open to it like, so if yeah. you want to apply because um, what we're also looking at is we're looking at the body of work. Like what about this particular person really distinguishes themselves right. from everyone else? So you don't, I mean, just because you have a degree doesn't mean necessarily anything. What yeah. might be more important is like, you know, what are other life experiences that you've got that really put yourself right. apart? So I'll give one example. We, uh, our first class of folks that we had, we had this one girl, she applied and she was a standout candidate because yeah. first off, she did have a bachelor's degree in, I think it was like, um, uh, biochemistry, I think, right? So like, you know, really sharp, really smart kid. But then she had then worked in the real estate space for like a couple of years. And that was really interesting to us. But then the okay. most really intriguing thing is then on her resume, she then spent, I think, a year or two years working on an oil rig. Oh, wow. As, as an weird. oil rig, roused up, yeah, in yeah. the Gulf of Mexico. Like, so she would stay on a station platform working on an oil rig, right? And this is a kid who was really sharp, had a degree in biochemistry, I yeah. had worked in the real estate space, but then, and so to us, it was like, wow, this yeah. person's got a lot of life experiences. She's not a hard work at all. She knows yeah. how to work with a bunch of dudes, like on an oil rig. She's yeah. really sharp. And for us that just like stood head and shoulders, like, okay, this is the type of person we're looking for because she's mm -hmm. got a wide variety of experiences. She can adapt yeah. and she's not afraid of hard work. And for us, that's what we were looking for. So those are the kind of indicators we're looking for. So just because, you know, someone that's listening to this show, um, maybe they don't have an advanced degree. Maybe they don't have a degree. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that, that may be a hindrance, right? Because, like, again, yeah. we might be processing 3,000 applications, right? And we're going to be looking for stuff that's going to really distinguish yourself. So yeah. if you send an application to us or any other employer, think about ways. Like, think like a marketer. How mm -hmm. are you going to distinguish yourself from anyone else? And so that requires sitting down and thinking about who is the employer first? What are the things that they're interested in? Think about, like, all the other applications they might be getting. And then think about how in the world are you going to stand up? Can I tell one more story? This oh, is a, of course, of course. okay. So I've got this guy. I don't know him personally, but I love his yeah. books. His name is N.D. Wilson. He's a, a, yeah. He writes uh, fiction. He also writes nonfiction. But the way he got into the space is he had written this kid's book. Mm. Uh, and it was a fun novel, kind of like a fantasy novel, kind of like Harry Potter. Uh, yeah. But it was just like a different series. It's called the, uh, it was called 100 Cupboards. You're Anyways. Right. Uh, and so he wanted to get into the publishing industry, he had written this great book. He went to a whole bunch of different publishers, sent them his book. And his his dad actually was a well-established Christian author. Right. So he thought like, hey, I'll be able to get into the Christian book industry because I'll just use my dad's relationships. Mm. Well, he sends this book to them. No one's interested in it. And he was like really bummed because no one wanted to read his book and anything. <laughs> but then he had this random friend of his that he had said, like, hey, bro, I think you might be good. He was, his friend was not a literary agent. But yeah. he thought like maybe his friend would be good at it. And so he said, hey, hey, bro, 
I heard you're going to be in New York City next week. Can you just take a copy of my book and drop it off with, uh, you know, all these different publishers? Uh, yeah. And the dude's like, sure, you know, whatever. And so his friend was at his mom's house in like upper upstate New York, whatever. And so Indy Wilson sends yeah. him the the book, but the book wasn't like published. It was just like paper, right? right. So his friend stays, uses his mom's printer to print like, you know, you know, 20 copies of a 300 page book, right? And so it's literally, you know, like eight and a half by 11 paper. Yeah. And it's this big chunk of paper, right? But his friend who was not a literary agent, wasn't really sure like, how do I deliver this to, you know, these book companies. And mm. so he saram wrapped the whole thing, just got wow. saram wrapped and took all these book copies and dropped them off at these different book publishers. Well, mm. book publishers receive manuscripts all the time, right? Sometimes mm. they're solicited, sometimes they're not solicited, right? Yeah. Uh, just super random. Like, and so they're just drowning in like all these manuscripts that they really got to get around to reading these things. But suddenly like, oh, you know, here's my pile of manuscripts today. Oh, this one's saram wrapped. <laughs> I've never seen a saram wrap. What's in here? You know? Yeah. And so all these book publishers started like ripping open the saram because it wow. stood out. It was super random. It was weird. It was different. And they started thumbing through it. And, and so he got a call back. And I think it was, uh, I think it was Harper Collins, which is like one of the biggest right. publishers in America. I could be wrong. It was either Harper Collins or maybe somebody. It was the publisher for Harry Potter. Wow. The publisher for Harry Potter reached out to him and was like, Hey, we want to give you a contract on this. And so he like sold like millions of copies of the book. Wow. And it's just because his friend who was not a well-established literary agent at all, yeah. randomly decided to saram wrap the <laughs> book copy. I mean, that's crazy, man. Yeah. That's crazy. But crazy stuff like that stands out and stuff that stands out gets attention and stuff that gets attention gets considered. Wow. I think, um, well, that encapsulates your career basically. Because you are used to thinking of outlandish ideas. Did you, did you get any of your inspiration from this story in your? In uh, not yet, but I'm still th- I'm yet. still thinking of it. Yeah, I'm still thinking of how to ap- apply that. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for um, you know going to my show, and um, well, wish you uh, best of luck. Thank you, Adrian. I appreciate, it, sir. Thanks Thank for letting you. me on. Thank you.